What's going on, everybody? We are back with another episode of Fins and Feathers. This episode right here is going to be one of my favorites so far. I um, I hit a guy up on Facebook, and I was like, he made a post, and some of my friends seen it, and they were like, comment. I was like, hey, I have a podcast. I'd love to have you on there, which, I mean, I had plans to message the guy. He was like, hit me up. I sent the guy a message this evening, sitting in my bed. When I got home from work, I was like, hey, I'll message him. My son's trying to go sleep, so me and my wife's hiding in our bedroom. And uh, I shoot him a message and say, hey, you know, this is my name. We've talked back and forth over the years. I've asked him questions. And I was like, would you want to come on my podcast? You know, I like everything you've done and everything you've been into. And he said, yeah, how about tonight? So I am about to interview someone who probably was one of the reasons I got in the waterfowl. One of the reasons I got into doing media work with waterfowl, all that. Ronnie Phillips from Heartland Waterfowl. I am so excited about this, and man, we're we're just going to jump into it, man. This is going to be fun. Um, I have no script, no idea. I got a whiskey sour poured, and we're just going to jump into it, and we're going to talk. I want to get an interview someone who I have a billion questions that I want that are just questions I want to ask, but we're going to try to stay on topic. Talk about his life, his career, and, you know, I don't even know what season of Heart and Waterfowl are on because my brain's racing so fast. But this is this is going to be one of my top interviews because of this guy having so much influence on me with Waterfowl. So, man, let's get after it. Uh, here we go. Uh, hey, Ronnie, um, thanks for coming on here and um, sitting down and deciding to talk with me. Like I said there when we were chatting, man, this is a – this is once again like man this is an amazing thing like i've actually reached out to what i feel like is is a couple pretty influential people and they've they've told me yes and it's just like whether it's just not worked out on their schedule which i mean i assume people in the outdoor industry like i mean i get messages like and i'm a nobody that people asking me about stuff and questions so just to like catch them on their radar at times is pretty awesome to be able to make this work out so thank thanks again for coming yeah. on here Man, I appreciate you. Thank you for uh, inviting me and including me on this really cool venture that you got going on. And um, you know, <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out on one thing though. All right, so I'm gonna do this right off the bat. Don't ever say that you're not a nobody, <laughs> because if you've got a vision for something, I mean, I feel like it's good to be humble, and I know that that's ultimately what you're trying to do. But you know, if you've got a vision for something, you got to see it. If you really got a place that you want to go and somewhere, something that you want to accomplish, then you can't try to belittle yourself and feeling like, oh, I'm just a nobody. You know, no, you got to make, you got to go into it feeling like I am with somebody and I am capable of doing this. And by God, I am even going to go do it. So, yeah, that's... from friend to friend, I don't want to hear that come out of your mouth anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, and, I've, I say that, but I've learned through this process of doing this, just the people I've met, like you just send them a message and like they're, they're a normal person on the other side. And I don't think, I think at times, like, especially now with how social media is, like we see those people on the other side as like basically movie stars, TV stars. They're in our, in the outdoor, in the media industry, they're big time people to us. And right. I think that's right. I mean, they are just normal people. And if you want to talk to them and reach out to them, I mean, like I said, I've asked you and a couple other guys on Heartland uh, multiple times different questions about camera stuff, about like, 
you know, like I'm thinking about buying this camera lens and stuff. I mean, and you guys have always kind of been nice enough. I mean, I actually remember that I lost my um, password to um, your all's TV series online and someone, I don't know who it was, had to unlock it so I could get back in so I could download episodes mm-hmm. again. <laughs> but I mean, that was, I mean, just you guys have always been, the whole entire group has been super nice, but we're, we're going to talk to you tonight and I want to, I want to start with, we're going to start with young Ronnie. Um, did you grow up like hunting and fishing in the outdoors or tell us a little bit about your youth? Yeah. Sure. I grew up in the, uh, small Northeast Kansas town and, um, my grandparents and uncle were farmers. And so I was blessed immediately to have access to land to hunt. Uh, my father was not into hunting. Um, as a matter of fact, nobody on that side of the family was into hunting. The inspiration came from my grandfather, whose name was, um, David Carter. And he resided in um, Sumter, South Carolina. He was more of an upland uh, guy. He was big into uh, doing, uh, sorry, trial uh, trial dogs. I don't know why that was so hard for me to say, but he ran a lot of bird dog trials and was actually known in that region for being an exceptional uh, dog trainer. Uh, He had a hunting preserve. I think he raised like 3,000 bob white quail a year. And uh, he had some pretty, um, pretty high, uh, high caliber clients. Uh, Bobby Richardson, who's a Hall of Fame second baseman for the New York Yankees, was a regular customer. Um, and there was a few others. I think there was a general under Schwarzkopf under uh, during Desert Storm that hunted with him regularly. Anyway, so me being the first grandchild and the only grandson, <clears throat> there was a lot of influence there with him. And, and his passion for the outdoors, not only hunting uh, or even uh, upland hunting, but then there was the, the rifle hunting for deer. Uh, my passion for bow hunting came many, 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 many years later, um, and not even from him. Uh, and But then the fishing, you know, all of that, that passion that I had, I got from him. And so when they would come to visit or we would go there to visit during Christmas, you know, we were, we were either hunting or fishing. It's just, that was what we did. And that's what I looked forward to. So I was able to get the, the um, tutelage, if you will, from him. And then I uh, brought it back to Kansas um, where, again, I had access to land. And luckily being a small Northeast Kansas uh, Midwest town, it wasn't uncommon for, other kids my age to have the same interest. And so you kind of gravitate to those people and then they've got friends or family who have access to land. And so now you've just got this big playground <laughs> to, uh, to go uh, upland bird hunting. The waterfowl thing didn't come until many years later and we can get into that in a moment. But if we're going back to my youth and my passion for uh, the outdoors, it started I think when I was in second grade, my, my, my grandfather gave me the, uh, a 410 single shot. I think the first thing I shot with it was a squirrel. Um, and then from there, it was trying to figure out how to shoot moving targets from the air um, or in the air, uh, shooting blue rock or clay pigeons or whatever you want to call it. Um, and yeah, like I said, it just kind of escalated. Um, my passion, though, was uh, for a career from a very young age. As a matter of fact, from third, you know, starting in third grade, um, I wanted to be in radio. And um, I know we're going to get into that some, but um, 
to kind of parlay how I got from point A to point B. I did radio for 22 years and at some point hit my ceiling where I felt like I hit a ceiling to where I wasn't really going to continue to grow to the level that I was, um, I guess, aspiring to. So I was trying to figure out how can I parlay all of this media experience from 22 years of being on the air and being behind the scenes and doing commercial production and station imaging and promos and being a part of the marketing team and how can I parlay all of that into a passion that I have? And of course, that one of that passion besides sports, one of those passions was the outdoors. So um, I was able to connect with the guys from Heartland Bowhunter. Um, I'm trying to give you the Cliff Notes version of the story, even though I'm pretty long-winded here. But <clears throat> I no, you're good. You're perfect. With them. This is perfect. It, I connected with them. Uh, my wife's family is good friends with um, the Hunsuckers family. Mike Hunsuckers' um, parents, and and um, so anyway, there was an introduction there. And then when I connected with HB, it was more so of applying my experience from what I had done in radio to kind of help them in some areas. And then just we we got along, we connected, and so I would help promote them their local events and on the air. And they included me on some of the things that they were doing. And after a couple of years of having that friendship and, and, and kind of growing that connection, they saw that there was an opportunity to create an extension of their brand. And so um, the guy that they went to high school with, Logan Burdett, who's my partner on Heartland Waterfowl, we connected and we said, all right, let's do this. And here we are getting ready to launch season nine come July. Actually, I just saw the very first rough cut of episode one, season nine tonight. And um, it's hard to believe it's already been nine seasons. But um, yeah, that's kind of the story on how, how I started as a young lad in Northeast Kansas to where we are today. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a crazy story because, I mean, once again, like, I mean, I guess, I guess, like, it's weird because, like, when I talk to people, I have an engineering background. So, like, I mean, I have an electrical engineering, engineering background, so it really doesn't portray the, anything to do with media, which is what I truly love. But, you know, I'm I'm from West Virginia, so that we have, like, one hunting team out of – one hunting show out of the state. And um, I'm editing for, like, a, another YouTube series and stuff, and I've got another YouTube series I edit for. But, like, I never had that opportunity, so, like, that that's just – I mean, I always thought about moving to the Midwest and stuff because I was like, I know like there's places like you can just meet the people out there. And that's just crazy that you kind of married. I guess it wouldn't be married. I guess you kind of married into like a perfect situation that kind of like fit. I mean, fit like a glove to me. I mean, when I look at like what you guys are doing, whether it's them on Heartland Bowhunter or them over on the waterfowl side, I mean, it's just, I, I made like some notes and like, it's very, the like you summarized all that right there, but I mean y'all, y'all. There's a hick at me from West Virginia. Um, <laughs> I said that. <laughs> That's and I, right, was, I say y'all also. I, like, said that okay. and I was like, I just said that. Um, but but it's just the the stories that come from that, and I can kind of see like you tell that story, and you're like giving the Cliff Notes version of it, which really, I mean, we can't, we don't, I mean, it's impossible to probably give it full justice on this, the story of every single one of y'all from the team, which is from the group, which is, I think kind of quite amazing, but that what I take from that is like, you took 
you took a, a passion and found a way to apply it to something that you probably didn't have. I mean, you probably had an idea about the out, like managing the outdoor industry, but like you, what you brought to them was probably the ability to understand and manage sponsors, which that's a big thing that I'm, I'm learning with some of the work I'm doing that like it's sometimes they're difficult to deal with when it comes to like dealing right. with, I mean, and it's, and it's just, they want it done a certain way. I I was a part of a part of a boot that, you know, could have been a complete launch for a series for a, a country singer, but, you know, personally his manager and AKA his brother is very difficult to deal with. And the guy who owns the company was like, I'm done. Like, I don't, I don't even care. Like you can, we'll do this one boot and we're done. So that, that kind of showed me that like, you know, you never know, like you said, like you never know who you're actually like when you burn that bridge, who they're actually going to, when you're going to see that person again. And that's something that I guess it's, I don't, I don't really know how I'm trying to justify this, but it's just that like that story tells me that you took and you took and developed a, a, a relationship that was probably just a friendship at a here. This is helping you out kind of deal that turned into a career that it, I mean, you, you look like you love when it's on there on TV. When we look at it, would it be from the YouTube yeah. series that y'all have? And I mean, that's getting in more and, that, and that we can kind of jump there now is the way y'all present those stories, whether it's Heartland, yeah. Hunter, when you start, when you kind of help them or the waterfowl side, it's just, to me, it, it reminds me of when me and my dad grew up. My dad bought the first camera, and we went out, and we just were playing around with a camera, filming, making memories. I mean, you, you take that and tell a story, a beautiful story every season with every episode, just with the B-roll and everything else. And I, I know it takes a ton of time to do all that. It takes even more time to set in the editing room to control and add all the sound and all even the color grading and all that to it, we can get, we ain't going to get into, but like, that's just something that kind of amazes mm-hmm. me that you, I didn't even know you had a radio background, but it makes sense when I hear your voiceovers mm-hmm. on the show, how well and how deep spoken they are. Well, I appreciate that. You know, you hit on a lot right there. And, and so I want to try to kind of, um, yeah, like I'm trying to, like, of, we did this mm-hmm. quick. So I'm trying I, to like, thank you, like my no, way no. through it. It's okay. It's all right. But, you know, I, I want to hit on a couple of things that you, you spoke to there. And one of that was, I, well, let me back up. So I think some of the problems that people have in society or some of the drawbacks that they have with, that keeps them from progressing or evolving and growing is it the start is what stops most people. And I know that's kind of a cliche thing to say, but it, but it, there's, it's so true. There's, I don't know how many times you've run into somebody and maybe you've even done this where you said, man, I, um, there'll be a, there'll be an item that's invented a product or there'll be a service that is invented. We'll just say Uber, Uber, for an example. I don't know how many people I've come across. Say, man, I, I had that idea. Why didn't you do it? You know, well, they were scared. They were scared of failure. They were scared of investing the time and the effort to put something that they thought was a practical and logical and, you know, a, um, a you know, an idea that could be, <clears throat> you know, it, um, 
what, what's the word I'm trying to use? Be profitable. We'll just go with that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but they never did it. They never did it. And so you have to get to a place in your life where you are willing to take the jump. You're willing to take the risk. Um, and I was at a point in my career in radio where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. There was not that I had it real bad. There were a lot of great things about what I was doing at that particular time. And I did it for 22 years. Um, but I got to a point where I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And, uh, you know, I had the idea years ago to want to be a part of a outdoor TV program, but I didn't know where to get started. I didn't know how to, you know, I didn't know anything about getting started. And so that negativity immediately got into my mind. And as soon as I got the idea, the idea was quickly forgotten because, oh my God, it's too much work. It's, you know, all, all, all these excuses on why you couldn't do it until you got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it was like, screw it. I'm going to figure it out. So <clears throat> I say that to move on to the next point, make no mistake that when I met Mike and Sean and the guys from Heartland Bowhunter, naturally I, I wanted to be a sponge and learn from them. I didn't have any uh, premeditated thoughts of starting Heartland Waterfowl. I just wanted to be a sponge. I wanted to be like the intern who's working at, his first job and, you know, while he's in college or right out of college and just trying to be a sponge to learn as much as I possibly could to then apply it to however I wanted to start my own thing. And naturally, and, and actually that, that was what the plan was. I was going to start my own show. And, um, so <clears throat> granted, yes, we did evolve and, and have a, a friendship, but I, I always, <laughs> you know, said, we're there. Yeah, sorry, that was on my side. It's my phone slid. I moved to my cup and slid okay. my phone down. I went to catch it, and yep, I've got it setting in a safer no place. It's on top of the 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 bottle drying rack, as you know what those are. Where did we leave off? Um, we were uh, sponging everything off the Heartland Waterfowl guys. Um, you you had aspirations yeah, so just, to start that sh- starter show, but not really wasn't plans to join them. Right. I had the confidence. Because, well, one, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So now I'm helping to figure it out. One. Two, because I did have the, the broadcasting background, I had the confidence a little or maybe say a little bit more confidence in myself than maybe just any Joe Schmo off the street who likes to hunt would. Um, but I also went into it when we actually started doing something I did realize I didn't know as much as I thought I did. So there were many growing pains and, and hurdles. And, you know, uh, I tripped along the way several times and learned a lot from those mistakes, like anything in life. But to say that I, you know, I just wanted, I guess, clarify that once I knew who I was hanging out with, I, I quickly told myself that I needed to pay close attention to everything that is going on here um, because this is a golden opportunity for me to get a lot of uh, very priceless education and information. So, yeah, um, that was, um, that was one of the points I I wanted to hit on. And then, um, you know, from there it was, 
it was um, it was kind of an entrepreneurial. Uh, it just it opened up a whole new entrepreneurial spirit, and um, and then from there, that's when life really took off. You know, I I subscribe to another saying, which is you're a product of your environment, and if you hang out with drug dealers, there's a chance, pretty good chance, you're going to do drugs. You know, if you hang out with negative, toxic people, there's a really good chance that you're going to have that kind of mindset and mentality. Um, I had gotten to a, such a negative spot with where I was in my career that I didn't realize the amount of negativity and maybe even some toxicity, I can't say the word toxicity, that I had within until I got out of that situation and was surrounded by the guys from Heartland Bowhunter. And um, it was a very positive, encouraging uh, atmosphere to where it allowed me the ability to change my mindset um, and be a product of their environment. And without that, I, I truly believe I wouldn't be where I am today. Now, a lot of my success also has been a product with what I, as, as we talked about earlier, from what I only not learned, not only from what I learned in being in media uh, and broadcasting, but just the amount of relationships. When you work in radio from tw for 22 years as an on-air personality, and I've been in Kansas, Missouri, Wisconsin, Arizona, you know, you meet a lot of people in all different walks of life. And I learned quickly then the power of networking and the power of relationships and how important it is to massage those relationships, even with when it's, somebody you don't think that provides, let's say, any significant value to you. Because you never know when somewhere down the road, you might be involved in another venture and then you say, oh, well, I met this one guy this one time. I got a relationship with this guy. I might be able to work with this guy in some capacity. And that happened with me when I got involved with another business venture after starting Heartland Waterfowl. Some of these people that I had met from the years of being on the radio that had, you know, that were working in different, uh, different industries that I never, ever thought I would have any kind of relationship or professional relationship with them. Now, there are people that I could potentially sell to or people that I could potentially collaborate with. And so I say all that to say that you never know when you meet someone, what kind of impact they might have on your life. And it may not be today or even next year. It might be five years down the road. But there is a, a big product of my success has been the ability to recognize the importance of networking and relationships. Yeah, that is something that I think I learned. But I, I learned it. I learned it actually through a, a very random adventure that I went on when I met my wife, which... I um I rodeoed when I was young as a young kid and then we didn't re I didn't really have any friends on it so I moved on the sports well when I met actually met had a friend who um ended up being the best man in my wedding had come back around and he was he was rodeo and he had kind of quit high school sports he was younger than me and I kind of met my um my wife through them and started running around with my brother-in-law now and went down this rodeo adventure where you know we started I told her, I was like, you know, I'm going to, I want to take this leap. And like, I've networked all these people. I've learned all this stuff. I, I took a leap a couple of years ago and, and bought a, and spent the money and 
you know, cash I'd made over the time working in the radio industry. I, I bought a radio company and I ran it for like a year and a half. And I met a ton of people through that. I learned about advertising. I learned about managing, managing a company that makes a lot of money, but also costs a lot of money very quickly in a day. You can make a bunch of money, but also one little mistake can cost you so much money and just managing so many people and organizing and, and learning that, you know, people pay attention to who you, you so associate with and what you're doing because there there's good people in every industry. There's bad people in every industry. And, mm-hmm. and I, I learned that those good people in that industry will always remember who you are. And, and since then, like COVID has hit and it kind of put me in a position where I looked at my wife and I said, you know, I, I did this for, with an engineering job, I was traveling through the summers four nights a week. And I was like, I just can't handle this. Like I'm going to, I'm going to make the choice and I'm going to sell everything I own and pay off a vehicle. Cause you know, at that time at the start of COVID, I mean, a lot of us thought what we thought, which seemed to kind of be right, but I mean, we didn't know, like, I didn't know what my company was going to do. My company was saying, you know, we don't really have answers from anyone, um, any of our customers. So I was like, well, you know, I'm going to make the decision to sell everything and pay some, pay some bills. And, you know, I haven't looked back on that because that was that experience. Like I talked to my dad this evening about that experience of, of doing that radio company made me grow up so much in my, in my mid twenties that, you know, I'm. A lot of people probably can't say they owned a full rodeo company and was managing it for a year and a half. And I mean, we did a lot of shows and we traveled all over Ohio and in the Michigan a few times and all over West Virginia. And I mean, it was something that was very valuable to teach me those lessons that you went over about the networking and who all's there. And I can still know those people still call me to ask. I mean, I get calls about, you know, media work. I get calls about coming and working at working for people that have never met me, but they know they've spoke to someone who knows me and wants me to work with them. So, I mean, it's something that that is a valuable lesson that I've been burned by many people that in that industry, man, when they burn you, they burn you in a bad way that, you know, like people have asked me about and I'm like, yeah, I would never hire that person. And there there's good people, which I'd say you've dealt with it that had good intentions when they gave you advice and said, hey, my buddy here can take care of you and he can handle this for you. But like you said, like if you if you hang out with those shady people and you suggest those shady people, it says a little bit about your character. That maybe you don't, either you don't know who you're really hanging around with, you don't really know who you're taking advice and giving suggestions up from. And that, and... Yeah, no, that's... That's 100% accurate. <clears throat> Are you still involved in the rodeo industry? Uh, this is kind of like my last year wrapping up. I'm actually, uh, right now, all I do is really fight bulls. Um, and, I, and I go work and kind of manage shows for um, a, uh, a contractor not far away. I mean, he's he's had me doing that for a couple of years now. He, I mean, he knows I'm, because everyone thinks it's all, it's all glamour. You know, you get to come and you get to do all this fun stuff. I mean, there's a lot of... Hand, like hand back breaking work. I mean, those things don't set themselves up. So, I mean, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, that, but working with them and everything I learned actually led me to the boot company that I now get to do media work with. And I'm hoping to actually get to go to a, I don't know where the FFA convention is this year, whether it's Indiana or St. Louis and work for them this year there. 
um, doing media work and helping sell product and stuff. I mean, that's just, and that's just side work. And that's just, I was, I, I lucked into that, I guess, because I learned early that, you know, you help and do stuff free for people. You never know who that person is going to be down the road. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, I mean, there I'll do about anything free for someone once or twice just because mm-hmm. I, I mean, if, if, I mean, if they're a, you know what I mean? If they're that a respectful person and stuff, I mean, I'm not going to do, I've been down the shady road when it comes to media work. And then at the end of the day, you're sitting there and you've done 20 hours of work for nothing. Um, right. But so we've, we've kind of got into how Heartland started. Um, now let's, let's jump over to, I'm scared to touch my phone now after I accidentally hung up a second ago. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like let's get, let's go into when, like, I, I guess like you've kind of answered this. When did you get, get around to like really working with cameras? Cause I mean, when I think of Heartland Waterfowl, I think of, and this, um, any of my friends that listen to this, don't take this the wrong way. Cause I mean this with open heart. Like I, I love, I love media. I love the camera. I love that side of that. Like, I don't care to, and now that I have dogs like for waterfowl, I don't really care if I shoot anything ever and that's kind of like when you watch you guys all you guys really care about is just telling the story and sharing this memory from everyone and i mean the jokes joking with each other and everything is just there and like i don't like when i film waterfowl i'm usually just strictly there i tell guys i'm strictly there i'm gonna film i film for a call company a group of guys here in west virginia and i was like i'm filming strictly like i don't bring a gun I rarely, like, if they don't have a dog, I'll bring my dog because I just want to focus on that because I know at the end of the day, those guys don't truly love the media side as much as I do, so it doesn't bother me. But with you guys, it's like everyone, everyone's just there to tell a story and enjoy the atmosphere. Right. And no, I mean, that's, that's accurate. You know, so the question was, you know, when did I get yeah, you know, when, kind of into the camera stuff? And yeah, yeah, when did... Yeah, so it was it was when I connected with Mike and Sean um, because although I had a lot of media experience and I had the ability and, and the gift of gab, I didn't know a damn thing about a camera. I mean, I knew I, I I knew less than the bare minimum. I knew a, a little bit enough to be dangerous, but I had a long way to go. And when you first get into it, it's almost overwhelming, like oh my gosh, there's all of these different buttons and, you know, like all of these different things you got to think about. But when you dumb it down a little bit, I mean, there's basically a few components that are just really important. You know, you've got your ISO, you've got your shutter speed, um, you've got your white balance, um, and, and those all play together. And once you kind of understand the concept of the, of the lens, um, then it, it all kind of starts making sense. All right, well, then if I, you know, have a really low ISO, I can crank up my shutter. Well, if I don't need a really high shutter speed, I can crank that down. And if I want to make sure I don't have a, a uh, shallow depth of field because I want more things in focus, then I can raise up my ISO. So <clears throat> that's when I really tried to kind of dumb it down and simplify it, it began to make a lot more sense for me. To further answer your question, we filmed or began tr- attempting to film uh, about two years before we even had a show. 
and we needed that. Um, we had a couple of novice guys who uh, on the camera, we had a couple guys who were experienced with the camera. Um, and we were trying to play to everybody's strengths. But the thing that we struggled with, we knew how to kill birds. We just didn't know how to do it on camera. And when you've got, and of course, back then, nine years ago, we had a lot bigger cameras. Sony AX2000, which damn near looks like a TV camera. Um, now most people are filming with the SLR cameras or a little, or a much lower profile camera. So they're a lot easier to hide. But if you're a waterfowl hunter, you know that the hide is half the battle. If you're not hidden, you're not going to kill birds. Um, and so that was probably our biggest struggle was trying to find unique and creative ways to capture the content in a way that we needed to do it that would live up to the what we call the Heartland standard, or in this case, the Heartland Hunter standard. And um, it took a lot of trial and error and a lot of, uh, you know, experimenting. And, you know, I, I think we've figured it out, but we, we don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that we've got it figured out. We're always trying to think outside the box, creative ways to do it easier, to do it better, to do it smarter. And um, you have to. I mean, that's to be successful in any business. You, the minute you get complacent or you get to a place that you've got it all figured out is the second you're about to fail. And so I don't think any of us, or at least we better not, <laughs> we better not any of us have the mentality that we've got it figured out. We can be confident. I mean, you do have to be confident to go out there to do what you do. And, and again, to be successful, you have to have confidence. But if you go in there with an arrogance that you've got it figured out, you're about to hit rock bottom pretty quick. So, um, yeah, I'd say that we, you know, got experience with the cameras and started finding different creative uh, techniques and tactics to get the footage that we needed of the birds. Now, we could get the B-roll stuff, the setting up, the scouting, you know, you watch, again, it goes back to the being a product of an environment. You hang out with the HB guys and you see how they film and then you see the end result. And if you watch enough of that content, you begin to understand, ah, this is what they were doing here. This is what they were trying to achieve with this shot. I see, I've watched them film this shot. Now that I see it in a produced, you know, final product, now I get it. And so by being around that for as long as we were, and then trying to apply it for those first two years before the show even came out. Um, that was very, very, I mean, it was so valuable. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it's a, a product of how we got to where we are today. Yeah. This is kind of like this past season was kind of my first year filming, like actually setting down and making a plan like, Hey, I'm going to film these hunts and, like the year before we kind of, when I joined this call company and started doing stuff with them, like I would go and do photos a lot of the time and do some other stuff, but it was mainly photos. This year I really wanted to come over and do like more of the video stuff. That's why I went with the R5 and all that. But I mean, it's, it is tough. It's very tough. And let's be honest, out of the four really good hunts we had here that, you know, I would consider, Hey, these were hunts that like we needed 100% should have had the camera on. I either didn't have the camera out, which doesn't really affect them because it's kind of more of a, I do it as a trade-off for, I give them media work for their calls for free calls. Um, so they, they get to use it on their social media and stuff. And it's been very, they, I've, I've got them to understand on a side note that 
I think like the pot you have to like a social media side, you have to be very uh, repetitive on there. You can't just let it fall dormant. You know, you have to kind of stay like, keep it, keep it relative or people just lose that thought and that care. I mean, right now it's kind of, everyone can let everything go dormant. It's, but I mean, by June, July, you really got to have those social medias really flowing or people aren't going to, people aren't going to care. Um, yeah. But, well, you got to play. You know, the other problem with it is you have to play the algorithm game, and if yeah, you aren't that's, staying active enough, then there's a good chance that even the people who would enjoy your content and would engage and interact, that they're not even going to be exposed to it because you, yes, you put it, yourself behind the eight ball by not being in, you know invested enough by putting the con- enough content out there for your algorithm to be high enough for it to be you know getting in front of those who could and should be a fan of what you're doing. Yeah, like my social media, like this is something that, uh, I mean, I set a reminder every day for an 11 to remind me to post a story of something and an Instagram post. And I I try to follow that most of the time. Like out of the week, I usually hit like four out of seven days, which I feel like is good for me, but it's still, which is good, but it's still not what I I should do better. And it needs to be relevant content. I'm always telling myself, and that's kind of like you talked about, you watch the Heartland guys. I'm still trying to get myself where I don't just let my camera sit for no reason. Like take it with me. Like we like just like we vaccinated cattle and like, I know this is completely off random, but I could have took that, took four or five photos, use those for a week. I'll shot a little bit of video and be, and have something relevant that, you know, people would like, and they would like to see. And I think that's something that I've learned that like, just like with you guys, which we're, we're going to jump towards is you all started the YouTube series this year, um, mm-hmm. which that is, that is one tough one. That was, <laughs> that was when I like someone had talked about that on another podcast. They were going to try that. And I was like, Oh, that's going to be tough. And then like you guys come out and you, y'all pretty well did it. I mean, I think I tried to stay, stay up with it. Like I might've caught a couple episodes a day or two late, but man, it was, it it made y'all very very relevant all season long on your hunting trips. Thank you. And um, that's something that. So the. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. That that's something that like well, I, I was just gonna, I'm shooting for is that the relevance of stuff and like learning from tonight. Like I've learned, I've already, I've made notes on what all, you know, just small stuff you've talked about that I'm like, man, like that's areas I need to improve. That's areas that I think other people will hear and be like, man, that's where I need to improve that's stuff that I'm not as good, good at. And like you talked about the, the kind of the toxic stuff. Like I had that same issue years ago when I was at a job that I three, I think it was three years ago when I was at a job, I literally hated, I still do engineering work, but I hated half the people in that place. They didn't like me. The owners didn't like me. I was just kind of, they needed somebody. So they hired electrical engineer. I was a low level engineer. They didn't, really care they didn't socialize with me i mean i put in my two weeks notice and none of the owners spoke with me and they i mean they didn't speak i mean i probably spoke four times to them in the three years i was there so that that really put me in a bad place that like you know i thought everyone was kind of like i just assumed everyone was kind of like a jerk that's just how it is you're an adult now everyone's you but but it's not like that it's just those toxic people bring that toxicity into you and you just kind of sometimes go i think down the wrong path but uh, what was you going to say there? Well, no, you, you hit on the YouTube series. <clears throat> and so I was going to kind of uh, elaborate on how that whole thing kind of came about. Yeah, um, yeah. So 
we again because we were a product of Heartland Bow Hunter. We had, I guess, a bit of a head start than say any other first year show because we had instant credibility from being a part of the very um, notable and respected brand. But we still, the bad side of that was now we've got a level of expectation that we cannot, we cannot uh, slack on, you know, like all of our sponsors, all of these viewers, all of Heartland Bowhunter, you know, all of the people associated to HB, Mike and Sean, who are part owners of Heartland Waterfowl. There is now a certain gold standard level that we have to meet, you know, it's great that we've got this head start, but now everybody's going to expect this. So it was, it was kind of, I'm not going to say it was bad, but it was stressful in those first couple of years. Um, <clears throat> when we first started the show, we were sent, we were just filming for the TV show. We started on outdoor channel and then we made the move to sportsman channel when uh, Stan Kroenke bought both networks. And that's a whole nother long story, but it was, um, for us, it was a better fit to be on Sportsman Channel. But those first few years, it was all about, hey, all right, you're sponsor A, you're going to give us this product, you're going to pay us X amount of dollars, this is the deliverables. And we just go out in the field and we film for the TV show. As the digital stuff started coming into play, the social media and then the digital distribution. And then, you know, you saw that there were producers that were leaving linear being say, the network to go do just digital, whether it's a YouTube series or, you know, um, trying to think of the other platform. What was that other platform? Oh, it was carbon TV. Yeah. You know, people were going and putting all these producers were leaving TV just to go do digital distribution. And some of the sponsors frankly, we're pulling out of TV and just putting all of their eggs in one digital basket. And what we learned was um, there's actually value to both. And, and so we didn't want to just take a knee-jerk reaction and, and pull out of TV to go digital when we felt like there's still a significant amount of value to be a part of Sportsman Channel and the Outdoor Sportsman's Group. So how do we then create value for all of our sponsors? You know, there's the old school sponsor who is, you know, doesn't understand the digital side. All he knows is, or she knows is what they know on the linear side. And then you got the young whippersnapper right out of college. who's now got a marketing director position and he thinks he's got it all figured out. And oh, it's your TV's dead and you got to put everything, you know, on digital distribution. Well, that ain't right either. So how do you create value to do both? And, and so the mindset well, there was is we'll just invest in the company. You know, we'll, we'll take what we're making in the company and we're going to reinvest it to take a couple of guys out on the road with us. Um, and I'm going to give them a plug real quick. It's Marathon Media Management. Um, and they're guys who were a part of Heartland Waterfowl before they even started this business. But now we're going to pay them as a contractor, basically, to where they're going to go on the road with us full time. And not only are they filming for the TV show, but now they are also responsible to make sure that they're getting the content that we need to turn around a very quick and polished product for YouTube. 
And the idea behind the YouTube series wasn't just to create an original episode or original series for YouTube. It was to try to find a way to be unique. And I'm going to use that word a lot. Um, in my radio days, an old program director by the name of Jeff Baird, this was back when I was in Tucson, he taught me a valuable lesson that, that you want to always strive to be unique. Everybody talks about, well, I just want to be different. Well, you can be different and it can suck. But if you're trying to do something unique, then it should be different than what everybody's doing. But it's so unique that people are going to gravitate to it. And so that's what my mindset was going into it. And, and Logan as well. Um, I don't want to exclude him because he's very valuable and my you know other partner on this. So how can we be unique? Well, there was a lot of people that were producing content for YouTube, but they might be going on a hunt and then coming back home and then releasing it a week or two later. Well, being that everything that we do in the waterfowl side is contingent on the migration and on the weather, we wanted to be able to tell that story in damn near real time. So the mindset was, let's take all of the production gear, you know, not only what we do in the field, but what we do in post-production, and we're going to take it on the road with us. And then we're going to go out there and we're going to film our episode for TV. But then we're also going to get the quick little snippet that we need to incorporate to make it a YouTube episode. And we're going to turn around that morning hunt that night. And we're going to promote it as such through all of our social platforms. Hey, we're going to, you know, we get on Instagram and do a, a, an Instagram live or, excuse me, or an Instagram story and say, Hey guys, we're in North Dakota. It's our first morning hunt. We scouted this field last night. It was loaded with ducks. There was a few dark geese in here as well. Um, th this is what we're expecting. Check out the results and find out how we did when we drop the episode tonight on our Heartland Waterfowl YouTube channel. And so here we are in the season. And let's just say it's over the weekend. And we've been promoting that we're in North Dakota. And now you're out there hunting with your buddies and you're sitting in the blind and maybe the birds haven't flown yet. And you're sitting around BSN and you're getting bored and you know how it is. You get there and you just, you start flipping on your phone and you're going through social media. Well, now we're giving these people the opportunity to go, man, you know, the migration is a little behind, but I know the guys from Heartland Waterfowl are up in North Dakota right now. I wonder what the migration is like up there. I wonder how those guys are doing. And so now you can go onto your phone and you can pull up your YouTube and go to the Heartland Waterfowl YouTube channel and you can watch and see how we did yesterday because we turned it around within six to 12 hours. Um, and so there are people who are self-proclaimed digital distribution experts and they'll tell you, oh, the only day that you ever want to drop a YouTube video is on Thursdays or Wednesdays or whatever day. I don't know what if there is. There is a day that some people say is the best day to do that. We just said, you know what? We're not going to follow that. We're going to do something completely unique. And we're hoping that with this approach, it's going to draw, it's almost like a call to action to where we know because we follow these guys on Instagram and Facebook that they're, they're hunting and they're showing us the results of what they did in almost real time. What we call it semi-real time. And uh, we feel like there's a significant amount of value to that. And um, the hard part, though, is that when you start a new concept like that, you've just got to beat it into the head of your followers because you know how it is. 
on social media. They'll go through, they'll just skim through a post or they'll just quickly see a picture and they don't, may not take the time to really invest in what it is that you're putting out there or the message that you're trying to deliver. And so that has been the hardest part, but we knew we were going to have that struggle being the first year. And frankly, we did, we knew that that first year was going to be a learning curve as well. And we weren't going to have it all figured out. And there were going to be things along the way that we saw and how we filmed a particular YouTube episode or we, or we produced it that, Hey, you know what? This is where we were good. This is where we could have been better. Let's take that and apply it to what we're doing tomorrow. Whereas if you're out there filming it, and you're coming home and producing it and launching it a couple of weeks later, now you're taking these mental notes and you're like, all right, well, when we go on the next trip in two weeks, we're going to apply that. Well, now you're setting yourself nearly up for failure because you're giving yourself too much time to forget what you learned. In this particular case, we were learning that night and turning around the next morning and applying it. So, that's the, that's kind of how the whole YouTube thing came about. And it was an opportunity for us to show value to our sponsors. Um, not only for what we're doing on the linear side, but showing them that we're taking a step further and being very, very, very aggressive. Unlike as far as I know, nobody else in the industry is doing it. I'm sure that will change soon. But, um, because every sponsor that I had talked to had said that, that nobody that they were working with was taking that kind of approach. It was too aggressive. And they were scared for us that maybe we're setting ourselves up for failure and that we may not be able to do what we're saying we're going to do. But being the stubborn, head, bullheaded people that we are, we found a way to make it work. Yeah, like that is, you guys made that, I mean, it. I mean, you made it work and that is true. I, I didn't see because I'm, um, no one from my work listens. I have I listen to a lot of YouTube's. I'll turn them on and just minimize them while I'm doing CAD work and stuff. It's just something to listen to other than music, people talking and stuff, whether it's podcasts or whatnot. And you guys were, I mean, I, I mean, you you get in that algorithm, so you'll see a lot of other people's content. And it's normally you guys were the only people doing that. Turning it around the day of is the first thing mm-hmm. I have to say about that. Second is you weren't afraid to show and you you've never been afraid. And this is something that until the YouTube guys come around and it became the big, all these YouTube hunters that you have now, which there's nothing wrong with them. They didn't show, no one wanted to show non-successful hunts. And right. th- that drove me up the wall. Cause I'm like, you're not relating. You're making, you're not relating to the other people. Do you realize that? Probably ninety five percent of the people that follow you have an unsuccessful hunt. Um, mm-hmm. I spent a week in Arkansas and still haven't shot a duck in Arkansas. Um, two years ago, blew up a boat engine's all I did. So I mean, obviously there's, I mean, people like you guys show all those bad things, whether it be flat tires, where whether it be anything and everything, unsuccessful hunts, one bird, all that. I mean, because I mean, we all know how how good it feels to shoot like when it's that horrible day and you shoot one bird. It's like the most successful thing ever. Your all your other hunts don't matter no more. That hunt, like killing that one bird, mattered. Um, and and the whole thing about the upload thing, I I think that's stupid. Content is king in my eyes, and you can upload any day of the week if it's something that, like you all did, a polished thing. It doesn't matter. It it works no matter what day it is. People are gonna find it. People are gonna follow it. And I figure you guys did see success in it. It might have took a little while, like you said. Because, I mean, everybody scrolls through their Facebook. 
everyone just clicks through their Instagram mm-hmm. stories. I mean, half the time I got to click back because I'm clicking so fast. I'm, I'm three clicks over and I realized I wanted to watch whatever it was that I was going through. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, man, that, that was, I really enjoyed that because you guys showed, I mean, you showed a side of it that, you know, it. I mean, it showed, like you said, you showed the migration real time. And that's something that everyone wants to talk about is you get on the DU forms and everything. It's about, oh, well, the migration's not here. It's not there. It's, there's no migration yet. But yet again, you, you can watch your YouTube series and see the success in real time or the failure in real time or, hey, there's no birds here. We're, we're going to move because you guys, I mean, like I've used the hashtag before, don't doubt the scout that you guys use. And I mean, you mm-hmm. guys will travel. My most successful hunt involved us going an hour and a half in an area we've never hunted before. And we shot 30 some, um, right. 30 some okay. geese. I mean, and it was a hunt that like they were stupid. And then we, I think we could have shot 50 and I, we would have shot more. I mean, we had, the far, we had the farmer come and he was sitting in his truck and it was just young, dumb geese. You know how they are. I mean, you can literally do anything mm-hmm. and they're going to land. Um, but I love that. I love hearing that story because there are so many people that don't, that don't understand. They don't understand the value of the scout. And, you know, it, it really comes down to how bad do you really want it? And, and we will go above and beyond in our, well, and plus we have, our situation is a little bit different because we do have the pressure to have to provide content. I mean, at the end of the day, we can show struggles, but people are tuning in because they want to see us kill birds, right? I mean, you want, you want to see want the to story. Relatable. The story is... The you want to see the story, but, but, if, from, we, but if well, we never killed birds on every single episode, yeah. no one's going to tune in. Well, you know? So I, there is that stress that you are going to find the birds and you're able to get a, to get a, you know, get them down on the ground. Um, I, you know, the other thing I would say is, you know, we, this is kind of going back a little bit, talking about the YouTube series and, and me speaking to, you know, the fact that we don't know of many others in the industry that are turning around a production at the same day of the hunt. And let me rephrase that. There are people who are doing it some, but the fact that, that we are doing it with, uh, in the style of which we are doing it with the cinematic genuine storytelling and putting out a polished production, it's not just GoPros and POV cameras. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is a full production. Um, and, and that really just speaks to, again, Dakota and Quentin from Marathon Media Management, you know, because they are the ones, you know, behind the cameras. And not that we don't pick up a camera and, and, and do some filming ourselves, but they're the ones with the vision. They're the ones with the execution. And so to turn around the production, the, the level of production, the polished production, within the time frame where we're doing it, that's the part that's been very aggressive. And, um, that we feel kind of sets ourselves apart from others in the industry. Um, the other thing that you talked about was um, um, the, the, what was it? You were talking about the, um, oh, you were talking about the, you know, showing the misses and showing the true story. And, you know, for us, it is, and again, it, it's something that we got from the guys from Heartland Bowhunter, but you have to have a humble, you have to swallow the humble pill. And humility goes a really long way. And for us, we believe that there is nobody in the outdoor industry that I'm aware of that has some sort of certification 
or card in their wallet that says they are an expert professional hunter. And just because you have a YouTube channel or you have a TV show does not make you a professional hunter. Now, what it does give you, it, it blesses you with the ability to, in fortune, to be able to travel the country and do it more often than, say, the guy who's a nine-to-fiver five days a week, is scouting on his way to work, scouting on his way home from work, so that he can find that field on a Saturday or Sunday to get all of his buddies together when the conditions are right to shoot those birds. Um, that guy is you know, not going to have the experience to do it as much as we do. So we, you know, just like anything with repetition, you're going to get better at it. And so we do have that blessing and that fortune that we get to do it as much as we do that helps us be better at it. But at the end of the day, it's still hunting. And there are days when the birds hand us our ass. And, you know, and, and it happens to everybody. And, and when, there's times where the bird will be moneyed up, you know, back flapping, uh, feet down right there in, in the kill hole and bang, bang, bang. And somebody would shoot three times and misses. Now, it sucks to show that, especially if it happens to you or it happens to me, but we show it because that is, people can laugh at that. They can relate to that. People have got a friend in their blind. If they see that, they'll be like, oh, I remember when my buddy John did that. You know, like people can relate to that. And at the end of the day, because we have sponsors that we are, you know, we are put in a position to, to showcase, we want to relate to that weekend warrior hunter who, like I said, is scouting to and from work for that one day, you know, they want to use products from, from an, an outfit or a, a organization like ourselves that they can relate to. And if we are just showcasing that we're expert hunters and we never miss and we always shoot limits, yeah, give me a break. It's just, it's just not real hunting. Yeah, that that's perfectly. I mean, I, there's there's no comment there. That's perfectly put. Like I was sitting there, and and when I and you, I mean, you touched on it. When I when I say story, I mean from the miss to the success. I mean that's just it. Because I mean, you you want to have the success, whether it's the beginning of the story or the end of the story. But then you have those those highs and lows, and that's just it's what makes everything relatable to like you say that weekend warrior. I mean, I'd say there's ninety percent of the, hunters that go out there that never probably more than that i would say a hundred percent of the hunters that go out and hunt in waterfowl don't kill a limit every single day of the season it's just not going to happen it's it's impossible i mean right. they are at the end of the day it is a bird that does stuff that you cannot explain i mean i yeah, it's a wild animal <laughs> it's a wild animal right <laughs> and they, these are they, pin raised birds do you know their behaviors you know what they're going to do you know, they, they have their own barometer. They understand when they need to feed and when they want to sit and loaf and when they need to migrate. Like we have the ability to somewhat forecast what we think their behaviors are going to be, but there are going to be days where you're going to be caught off guard or the forecast is going to be wrong and the wind's going to blow out of the wrong direction. And now you're going to have to quickly on the fly improvise and do something different than what you thought the plan was the night before. So, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it really just comes down to um, being humble and, and, and not being so arrogant to think that you are so good that you can't ever be wrong. 
you yes. know, and, and, and have the ability to not only be wrong, but learn from the mistake and figure out a way that you can take that mistake and apply it to where, you know, somewhere down the road, you won't make that mistake. again. Yes, that is. And honestly, I, that is something that like, I mean, I don't know how a lot of people watch TV shows, but I watch, I, w- I watch for those things when you like make an adjustment, like I'll rewind back and be like, why did he do that? What did, what did they do on that? And then like, there's clips where, you know, there's some TV shows where you never see a camera in the background. I see when I see a camera set up, I'm like, where is it set up? Where is it pointed at? What angle is that? Then I like find it in the episode. And that's just stuff that I think people, you can take from any show that I think some people might overlook that you need to pay attention to. Like you can learn stuff just from, just from watching and really setting down and just in soaking in every aspects of an episode of a, of a show. I know that that's kind of a little off topic there from what you said, but it, it goes back to like, when you say like adjusting on the fly, like that's something that I've learned from you guys. You know, you guys talk about it a lot. Like, Hey, we're going to do this cause they're doing this. That's something that I think. Yeah. If it ain't working, switch it up. Like, I mean, we do it. I, every hunt, it probably every hunt. Fail. It does it. Well, a lot. Um, I don't know if it's every hunt, but there are, I mean, we might ship some decoys around, you know, every other hunt. Uh, but you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, I can't, I don't know why. And I feel like it's worse in the waterfowl side than it is with any other, any other type of hunting. And I, and I'm sitting here pausing because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to rationally figure out why I think that is. And I have my, I guess my speculations, but at the end of the day, there's so much arrogance with waterfowl hunting and with so many people. And, um, because you set up wrong or something happened, a, a dynamic changed and you had to shift and switch, doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It means you're lazy if you don't recognize what's wrong with the situation and you don't do something about it so that you can set yourself up for success. And we do that all the time. And we tell that story, look, it's okay. Like if you're out there with the, you're out there because you enjoy it. You're out there because you want to have fun. You're out there because you want to, you know, you want to, you want to trick them. You want to trick those birds. They're wild birds. You want to trick them. Okay. Well, what you're doing right at that particular time isn't working. What are you going to do differently? And sometimes if the birds don't fly, there's nothing you can do. You just count your losses and you pack up and you go back to scouting and you try again the next day. Um, but there's no shame in recognizing that like, Hey, I, you know, it practically, you know, going into it on paper, it made sense to do this or set up like this. But now that we're here, we're realizing that this is, we need to, we need to shift it. We need to change it. We need to you know, do something different here. And I don't know how many times because we have changed things up, it turned out, it, it worked for us. So yeah, we do it a lot. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's something that I've definitely taken away from the show. I mean, it's not, and it's not really something you guys talk about. It's just something that you show that it's implied. And a lot of people show it. I guess there's a lot of people out there that show it. Some people sit and talk about it, and it's their style of show. And I'm not saying you guys need to do that. I'm just saying it's something that I can take away from your show, even though you don't talk about it, just the way it's presented with within the, the shots and the camera work from Dakota and them. It, it, it's it's edited the nice together, and it kind of develops and shows that, that side of it. Um, but so something that I want to talk about now, because 
I don't want to have you on here all night long. Um, is is your kind of your new adventure? You've been you've been kind of posting about and teasing on Facebook. Um, mm, yep. Um, let's talk a little bit about that because I mean I had no idea you had the radio background, and tonight I've learned so much about you, and it kind of makes sense. But like, what what is the goal, and what do we what do we got going on right now? Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that. I, um, I recently launched a, a new business. Actually, I have a few different businesses, but the, the newest venture is um, it's called Papa Ron Radio. So Papa Ron came from a nickname amongst the Heartland Waterfowl crew. I'm pretty much far and away the oldest guy on the team. And because I'm one of the owners and I guess, one of the guys in charge, you know, they gave me the nickname Papa Ron, more so to make fun of my age. Um, I'm 46 years old. So, um, you know, that just kind of stuck. And I don't want to get into it too deep because I am also coming out with a brand new podcast. A product from Papa Ron Radio is the Papa Ron Podcast. And um, I'm going to, I'm hoping, I was hoping that the, the first episode was going to drop this week, but my wife and I are expecting a baby on Thursday. Congratulations. And, um, so thank you very much. It'll be child number three. Um, but uh, I, I'm hoping that that first episode is going to drop next week. But um, you can get it on Spotify. You can get it on YouTube. Um, it's going to be uh, uh, filmed also. So not only could you listen to it in your car on Spotify as you're driving down the road, but if you were sitting in the comfort of your home, you could pull it up and you could watch the interaction with me and the guests um, on YouTube. So how did this whole thing come about? Well, again, I had 22 years of radio experience. And um, again, I, I'm going to tell this story in greater depth on my podcast, but I'll, I'll give you kind of the nuts and bolts. I came to a crossroads in the last couple of years um, and um, I needed to do something different. When I say something different, I'm still doing Heartland Waterfowl. That's always going to be my baby, and I'm going to do that as long as I'm physically and mentally capable of doing it. Um, but I am an entrepreneur, um, and I like to create multiple streams of income. I like having the security of knowing if something goes down, I have something else to fall back on. And during COVID, one of the um, businesses that I was involved with, it took a significant financial hit. And, um, I ended up having to uh, walk away from that business, which was a <laughs> catastrophic blow to my ego and, um, and my self-confidence and self-value. And so I was, you know, doing other things that to try to pull myself out of the six foot COVID hole, but it wasn't necessarily something I was you know, had a great deep passion for. It was just a job. It was just something that I knew that I could make a little bit of money doing. And um, I basically was in um, the blind talking with Dakota and some of the guys uh, about this rut I was in. And Dakota basically, who, by the way, I think is what, 24, 25, 26, somewhere in his mid 20s. And um, got basically right up in my face as a 46 year old man and said, I've been telling you for years, you need to do a podcast. And I was always reluctant about doing it because as an old bald guy, I, I didn't really understand the value of the podcast. Podcasts have been around for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 
maybe even longer. And I wasn't a listener podcast. Um, and I didn't really know of anybody who was, in, you know, had a great deal of excitement or enthusiasm about the you know, content that was out there in a podcast. So I didn't have any enthusiasm to get started. But because I had hit this rut, I knew like I needed to do something different. I needed to keep moving. I needed to do something that was going to rejuvenate me and um, give me something to look forward to every morning that I woke up. And so the idea of the podcast actually kind of manifested to being something more than just a podcast. Um, I had a a significant um, background and experience in the stuff behind the scenes in radio with the producing of commercials, doing voiceover work, doing station promos, um, station imaging. So for those who aren't radio savvy, the station imaging would be considered like um, a sweeper or some sort of quick station identification content that would air between the songs. Um, And not only, you know, and so I was the guy behind the scenes, basically putting in the music beds or the sound effects or tweaking the EQ on the voice and, um, just trying to create something really cool sounding to play in between the songs. So I had years of experience in doing this and, and I'm really good on the, on the copywriting side of things. And so I said, you know, what if I created a business called Papa Ron radio, which then applies to providing a service to anybody who needs any kind of voiceover work where the TV commercial or a radio commercial or just narration, or maybe you need someone to be the voice for when you call the business and there's a recorded message. You know, it could be anything to the guy who's actually producing the commercials, producing the station promos, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And then I could use the podcast as an avenue, not only to build my brand, um, but I could use it as an opportunity to promote Heartland Waterfowl, promote my other business called Dumar Solutions, um, which is a affordable chemical and PPE solutions company for any industry. It was something that I launched back in May of last year. Um, and then I, you know, I could use the podcast to promote those two businesses and the Papa Ron radio, the voiceover work stuff and the production stuff. So, um, and again, I, I had all this experience for 22 years of doing it. So it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been a lot of work um, to kind of, step away from what I was doing and putting the, the time that I was applying to some of these other things, kind of sacrificing a little bit of that, maybe staying up a little bit later at night, going to bed or waking up a little bit earlier um, to make sure, no pun intended, that I have my ducks in a row. But um, it's been fun uh, to, um, to kind of put this thing together and um, slowly but surely I'm getting content out there that's promoting that the, the Papa Ron radio. Um, I would, you can find it on um, on uh, Instagram, Facebook. I uh, just put up the Papa uh, the Papa Ron podcast YouTube page uh, today. Um, there's no content on it yet, but hopefully next week there will be. So anyway, it's been a lot of fun, um, and uh, we'll see where it goes. You know, and I, I was telling Logan actually yesterday. He called and we were talking about it, and uh, he was excited for me as are many of my friends on, on the HW crew who are just great brothers, you know, people that are positive and encouraging. And, um, you know, I told Logan, I said, you know, I don't know where this will go. It might completely flop, but I know 
what it will be if I don't try. And so I'm going to try. And, and that's kind of always been my motto. I've always said that, you know, whatever it is in life that I'm doing, I don't want to be 70, 80 years old living in a, you know, a, um, an old folks home and have any regrets. Like, dang it, I had this idea. I wish I would have tried. I wish I would have done it. You know, um, it, I, I got, I got pushed far enough and I got, I finally got the vision of, a, you know, to, to finding a way to make it work. And, um, we're going to, I'm going to give it a try and see where it goes. Yeah, that that's awesome. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of where I kind of started this podcast was just, you know, I love media so much and I wanted a, a space that I could do it in and keep doing it. And it, I mean, you're very passionate. You can tell when you talk about that stuff, how passionate you're actually, I mean, you spent a lot of time in it. Um, about the the voiceover, the radio, and all that, and I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm definitely going to be a follower and follow along. Um, and definitely, if I ever need some voiceover work, I now know who I'm calling. I've got I've got yeah, a, I've got another. I'm got pretty a, cheap right now. I'm really really cheap right now. <laughs> well, then that is great. That is Darren. If you're dude, Darren, does not listen to this, but Darren, he says he's cheap. So let's get some boot commercials there going. You go. And uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a. Uh, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I'm I'm there also. I've uh I I I learned that um I mean, I I started raising my prices this year for doing photos and stuff because, you know, I was like you know, I'm I, I started out cheap because I didn't think about how good I was at stuff, which I don't know anything about the voiceover stuff, but I can honestly say you're going to be very good at the voiceover stuff. I mean, you you hit a freaking promo talk when we were talking to 20 minutes ago or 30 minutes ago about being in the blind and stuff. And you're doing an Instagram story, like off the top of your head. I don't even know how, like I'd have struggled through that. It takes four tries and stuff for me to do any voiceover type stuff. Um, yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's been fun and I, I'm hoping that it will be, uh, something that, uh, will be successful somewhere down the road. But, um, yeah. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty jacked up about it. So PapaRonRadio.com uh, dot com is the website. I'm um, every day trying to put new content up there that kind of uh, illustrates the diversity of what I can provide with those services. And um, yeah, let me know if there's anything I can do. I would be uh, I'd be honored to be involved. Yeah, we're um, we're hoping, man. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll definitely. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely going to reach out because I mean, a I'll get to work with you, which is something that will be awesome on its own. And I, I know the quality of person you are, so I know it's going to be good work. You're going to, I mean, you know I mean? It's just going to be an all around great, great relationship. And we don't do a lot, yeah. but it's something that I tried on one of my, my later commercials. And I can, I'll shoot that over to you and show you what, what we did and stuff. And it was just something simple that, you know, I mean, and the guy I do the commercials for dude, he flat out loved it and was like, okay, like he goes, this is the best one yet. And I mean, we've wow. done, we've done a little bit of stuff, but I mean, I threw that voiceover in there and he was like, yep. He goes, this is for now on kind of our, our thing. So we'll definitely be in touch whenever we finally get moving this year. I mean, right now it's waiting on product. Um, mm-hmm. but let's, let's, let's start wrapping this up. Um, so you're going to have a baby. Congratulations. So that's kind of, I was going to ask you what your spring and summer plans are, but I think it's going to be, um, <laughs> hanging out at the house. Uh, been there, done that. Uh, yeah. You know, um, some of us, which I mean, I, my son was born in April, which 
uh, two years ago. So, Congratulations. and we're, uh, we're hoping for our, we're trying for a second here. Um, we're, Good. we're excited. I mean, that's I'm, the fun dude. part is the trying. Yeah. Yeah. That's the fun <laughs> part. I mean, honestly, I mean, we, I have like, I'm at that stage where all my friends are having kids. I have one friend having a kid in July, another friend having twins in August. Um, there's another one that's going to be having their kid, I think in the month. I mean, we're just, I'm just at that stage where all my friends are now having babies and it's funny cause they're all boys. And I'm like, this is bad. This is very bad. I was like, cause I'm not going to want them at my house, breaking stuff, running around all crazy when they get older. Uh, mm-hmm. but what's, um, what's something that, uh, what's a, like, man, I don't know if there's a hunt you've went that you've not went on. I mean, in the waterfowl industry, we'll ask there a place that a place you'd like to go or a bird you would kind of like to go and shoot that you haven't really got to shoot yet. Mm. No, I, the first, I would probably say, I'll give you the first bird that came to mind that I have not harvested, which is a cinnamon teal. That's, that was um, going to be my guess. That's kind of a, you know, that Alex shot a Harlequin up there in Alaska this year, and that one is kind of considered the the holy rail or golden rail, whatever they call it, um, of waterfowl. And it is a cool bird. There's, I'm, I'm not trying to disparage that at all. I mean, that is a really, really cool bird. For me, I don't, I, you know, like people who like to big game hunt, some might have a passion for going to Africa. Um, to shoot a lot of different crazy species down there. And I still think it's cool and I, I'm all for it. I'm all for conservation. I personally don't have a deep passion within for me to go do an experience like that. Um, and I, and I only say that to kind of, you know, uh, put that in relation to the Harlequin. Like I don't have any deep burning desire. Like Alex, not only shot the Harlequin, he's now drawn a tag to go back to uh, Alaska to shoot a, um, a uh, emperor goose, which is another really, really cool bird. Um, I personally just, I think it's cool and I, and I hope he does it and I'd love to hear the story on it. I just personally don't have the desire to do that. But if I were to have a chance to hunt cinnamon teal, I would be all about that. I think that would be an awesome hunt. I mean, it's such a cool looking bird. Um, it's a, you know, it's a teal, right? So they come in like MIGs <laughs> in and out. Uh, so I, I, I would be excited about that as far as like the different places that, I mean, I, I've been blessed to travel the country, actually North America to hunt a lot of different places. Uh, Canada and Saskatchewan will always be probably towards the top. If not the top of the list is my favorite location to go. Um, we haven't been back in a couple of years because of the COVID restrictions um, to each their own on the whole vaccine topic. I'm not going to get deep into that. But um, I have personally yep, I'm right there with to you. not get the vaccine. Yep. I'm right there with you. I knew and, where you were but, going with but that. Nothing, yeah. Well, but to each their own. I mean, I'm yep. not going to sit here and shame anybody for getting the vaccine. Yep. I, yep. I don't believe in that either. So if someone, you know, does it, then that's great. And there are some people who got the vaccine just so that they can go to Canada. Well, for, and of course, that's in the waterfowl industry. And for me, that's all the wrong reasons for getting the vaccine. But that's just my opinion. And I don't have uh, any desire to get the vaccine. And so I will sacrifice going to Canada until they lift the restrictions. And then I'll be back there as soon as they open the border. Yeah. Um, we've done the flooded timber in Arkansas. That's um, 
That's a tough one. Like, I think we didn't have a good experience hunting flooded timber in Arkansas. When I say good experience, we were there at the wrong time. The weather was wrong. The every all the conditions were wrong. It had nothing to do with who we were with, where we were staying. Um, I mean, we had a great time while we were there. It's just the hunting wasn't the hype of flood, hunting flooded timber in Arkansas was did not live up to the expectation, and it was a high expectation. Yeah, um, I, so I would like to you know redeem myself and try that again. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree there. That was kind of my experience. Like, I, I kind of went in. I, I guess it was maybe oversold a little bit. And it's just, I mean, honestly, it everyone, when you think of Arkansas and you think of flooded timber, you think it's easy. I mean, honestly, I did. I thought it was like shooting fish in a barrel. It is far, right. far not. from that. And it is very <laughs> well, tough. And it it's, could be. Yeah, it, I mean. It could be if it's, if it's private land. You yes. know, but where we were going was public land. And the problem, and I'm not trying to, you know, put hoo-hoo all over public land hunting, but the problem is, is you can have somebody set up really like right on top of you. Oh, I've got literally, but you know what I mean? You know, and so you got, you got these birds that are working right over your hole and you got hunter over here, you know, a hundred yards away that's highballing like crazy. And, and then, you know, somebody who's making 40 yard shots, belly busting, and then it completely screws your volley. And it's, yeah. that just makes it really frustrating and tough. Um, and so, but if you had your own private spot that you were flooding and you can manage it, then I think it could be really, really, really cool. And they obviously, with the way the, the land is laid out down there, there's more opportunities for doing stuff like that. But, um, you know, but doing it on the public land and there are people who do public land hunting and they kill it and they do great. And they, but they, but they've got enough experience there to know when is the right time to be there. And, um, and we and, had all of those conditions working against us. Yeah. And I think, I think that's something that also I learned was, and I've made friends now in Arkansas and stuff. Cause the reason why I asked the, the favorite duck, the duck you want to shoot is because every time I talk to someone from Arkansas, it's like, oh, we want to shoot a black duck. I'm like, you don't have black ducks? Like, I can throw a rock and hit one half the days we're hunting here. And that's something that, like, I just assumed. I mean, coming up in Waterfowl, they were everywhere. But I think I've learned in Arkansas, the non-residents, it's, it's so much against you when you go there. There's people that have holes and they can go have success. But it's how do you measure your success is if you go five days and you shoot 10 birds is that a successful week or is it you shoot 30 birds over five days i think that's something that also Mm -hmm. changes some people's aspects i went assuming we were going to shoot 30 birds a day and then we didn't even come close to that and it was just bad weather you know it was two years ago there wasn't much of a winter so it was all the bad conditions and then you got to play the weather of the week while you're there and it's just so hard to find the birds, period, if they're not there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that, like, the residents, like, you, they, they know where they're at. And it's a big thing when you talk to Arkansas guys. They get so mad about sharing of information and people talking. Like, you don't ever speak and you don't ever post a picture if you shoot a bird because everyone knows where it is. I don't know how they know where it is because <laughs> everything looks the same down there to me. It's, I get lost in five seconds if it wasn't for a GPS. But, yeah, that's right. that's a place that, like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a surprise one for me. I 
from you. I was thinking when you said cinnamon too, I was like, well, I don't know if they've ever hunted California, I, California or Washington or like the Oregon area. I don't know if I've ever really seen you guys have an episode there. And I might be wrong when I say that because there's a lot of episodes over the past eight seasons. Um, but those seem like pretty, like we've never been to California. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, we, we've not been to California. I'm not totally opposed to doing it. Um, if we're in the right spot of California, I'm not a big fan of that state. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> and I, I understand that part. That too. I'm not dis- right. You know, and, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, but there are some great people in, in California and there are some great, great waterfowl opportunities in California. And obviously if I want to kill a cinnamon teal, that might be a great place to do it. So, um, we've got a good partnership with lacrosse. Um, I'm trying to remember if he's in Washington or Oregon. Um, he's up there in the Northwest somewhere and there's a possibility that we might be able to go up there, which would be something unlike we've ever done before. The furthest we've ever been in that direction is, um, Colorado and Wyoming. Um, and so that would be new. You know, one of the things that I, that I, that came to mind as I was listening to you talk that I've always wanted to do and, and we haven't done it yet is hunt the Platte River in Nebraska. Um, I'm a duck guy. I love hunting ducks. Like I don't, I don't, I, I don't not like shooting geese. Um, but if I've got my choice, man, I would love to shoot ducks and, and to hunt the Platte River. You just, there's so many stories and I've seen so much content from hunting there. It's just, it looks awesome. Anything that's got a natural spring, there's our buddies. Um, um, we got some buddies out in Colorado and they hunt some natural springs, um, when the time is right for ducks. And, and I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, I haven't done that yet, but, um, yeah, that, that Platte River in Nebraska, that would probably have to be one of the locations on the bucket list. Yeah, that that's one that's actually one of mine too there. And I'm hoping to make a trip. My brother in law actually went to um school at uh, the University of Wyoming, so he's got a lot of friends there in Laramie. That's actually um Oh yeah. He uh, he made a trip out there this past year and I mean they I mean, I think he was there four or five days and I think they had a couple stellar twenty five bird days and that's that's a place and i mean just all green just places that's a place that i would love to go to and i mean he sent me videos of it and i'm like man that's just because here here in our state i mean we have in the area i'm in we have four spots the birds pretty much end up and of those four spots one is a main large river and actually two main large rivers and then a rock quarry who uh, I have a buddy who has the land leased around it, and then other people have all the land around it leased because that's you know what I mean they do that as quick as they can because I mean that's what that's what you got to do if you're going to hunt those birds you got to be leased up and against that area and then we have a um, mm-hmm. one wildlife management area that it gets hunted so hard that you got to catch it at the right moment with the birds there or they're just you won't see a thing kind of ordeal but that's kind of that's kind of where the ducks end up. The geese kind of give us a chance to kind of spread out and kind of hunt a little more other fields because the ducks just seem like they don't they they get in the creeks a little bit, but not as much as what I would I'd love to see them do. Because when it finally gets cold enough to push them in there, they're usually all about four inches of ice. So that's mm-hmm. where we that's where we end up. But I mean, we get we have really good hunting around here. We just don't get to see the. I mean there's very few days you see a thousand plus birds kind of ordeal. I mean, wow. a lot of days you're seeing about, 
if you see 150, 200 birds, that's a, that's an amazing day here in our state. Wow. That brings a whole nother perspective. I mean, I've yeah, been you, in some states where I've seen 10,000, a, a, a 10,000 duck feed in a field. Like it's just an ungodly amount of duck. Now I'm not trying to make it sound like that that's common, but that's more than 250. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah so, I mean, I drove, uh, the first time I drove through Arkansas, it really opened my eyes to how many birds can actually be in a feed and in one spot. They, right. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, but man, Ronnie, I like, I've had you on here long enough and, but thanks again for coming on here. I don't want to hold you on here no more and I'll definitely be in touch. Um, yeah, please maybe do. Some, thank maybe you. Some I appreciate that. Anytime I have the opportunity to talk about a passion and the passion that I have for waterfowl hunting, well, actually all hunting. I, I love to bow hunt as well. And, um, yeah. Anytime I can talk about me and my passions and, and hang with a like-minded man, I've just been sitting here in my office with a bush light, you know, just shooting the bull with you. And anytime I have the opportunity to be around like-minded people and talk about um, common passions, it's, uh, it's a joy for me as well. And so I appreciate the opportunity, not only for the great camaraderie and, and discussion, but the opportunity to, uh, know promote heartland waterfowl and and kind of share our our experience and talk about some of the other ventures i'm involved with yeah that, that i mean thank i mean man it was just it was just awesome like i mean i'm i feel starstruck because of who you are and like how i followed you for so many years and everything but yeah i mean you hit it right there on the uh hammer on the hill that uh the nail on the hammer there gosh um but thanks again i'll definitely um definitely make sure everyone follows you and Follows all your adventures and Heartland Waterfowl because I'm I'm excited to see this new season come out. Thank you very much. That's right, HeartlandWaterfowl.com, uh, PapaRonRadio.com, uh, the Papa Ron podcast. Uh, you can find that on Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, and uh, YouTube. Uh, and then the Chemical and PPE Solutions Company is DumarSolutions.com, which is spelled D as in dog, O M as in Mary, A R E. So it looks like Dumer, but it's called or uh, pronounced Dumar solutions.com and um again thank you for the opportunity to um to share all that with you man that was amazing i'm so happy that you know we could work that out that it just so happened i mean we i kind of fumbled my way through it man thank you ronnie for doing an amazing interview i mean you were 100 you made you made this happen you made this work um and i i can't explain how thankful I am for him to come on here because I mean, like I said, I'm a I'm a little nobody in this podcast game, but you know I'm gonna quit saying that because of you, Ronnie. So we are some. We're here. Fins and feathers. You better go follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. You know, download us, follow us. We got 800 listens. Yeah, that's right. We have 800, 800 plus. We're we're inching in on that 1,000. Don't worry about the percentage on how many we listens we get per episode. We might just have enough episodes. But you go follow us. You go follow Ronnie over on his social medias. Check him out on Facebook. You'll find all his new adventures that he's going on. And you better go follow Winter Productions on YouTube. Winter Productions on Instagram. Winter Productions on Facebook. Go follow us because we got some awesome stuff coming up. Next week, we got Harrison back. You know what gonna, we're going to be talking about? Turkeys. So you better be ready. <laughs>